0: Let's pray one more time before we jump into the word today. Lord, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, soften our hearts, and may the words that come from my mouth be yours and not my own. In the wonderful and risen name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. And welcome. I do just want to say a special greeting to our guests in the room today. We're glad you're here. Whether you're in person or online, we want to give you a gift. So if that's you, you can scan that QR code that's on your bulletin or text the word WELCOME to 765-222-5937 and you'll receive a link to fill out a communication card. You'll fill it out and at the end of service you'll go straight away to that desk in the back and you'll receive your gift. Now if you're online, don't worry, we'll get in touch with you this week to make sure that you get your gift. So we're in our third week of our series, Heavenly Peace, our Advent series, Heavenly Peace. I started off the series talking about how, is peace even possible? Is shalom even possible? I ended saying, no, we don't get all of shalom right now, but until then, we get pieces of peace, pieces of Shalom. Because it's not as if Christ isn't working, he just isn't going to finish the work yet. And last week, Pastor Jessica followed that idea. We're talking about the ultimate unobtainable. Is world peace possible? No. Not on this side of heaven. But until then, in prayer, we can trust God. We can talk to God about what we're feeling. We can tell God. We can thank God and we can trust God again. So we've talked about, is peace possible? We've talked about, is world peace possible? And today, I want to ask you the question, is peace with others possible? So the whole world can't be at peace, but surely, surely there can at least be somebody, some group of people that can find peace with one another, right? It Couldn't that be possible? Couldn't that be feasible? Certainly in Christ's church, The perfect community, the reset button for what community was always meant to be like, couldn't peace, couldn't shalom, couldn't things being as they should be in our relationships be possible? So that's what we're going to jump into today in Colossians chapter 3 that Pastor Christian read for us. But before that, I want to set the stage. Now, the book of Colossians is written by Paul, who's writing it from prison, and it's important to notice that Paul is setting up the Colossians as an example. They're doing good, which is not the case in all of Paul's letters. Read Galatians, you'll have a different example. So, he's lifting them up as an example. He's saying he's noticed their love for one another, their love for other people. And then he begins to paint this beautiful picture where God's people who have been set free, who have been set apart are tender-hearted. They're merciful. They're kind. They're gentle, humble, and patient. There's grace when people aren't perfect, when they make mistakes. Forgiveness and reconciliation easily happens. There's a constant realization that the things that others have done to me aren't nearly as bad as the things that I have done to God my sins. It's a community of love, a community of shalom, a community of where things are as they should be. We get along. Our relationships are as they should be. So if we have any hope in this world of having peace between each other, we're going to find it in the church. If you're going to have any hope of getting any peace with other people out there, you're going to learn it in here because the church is the training ground for peace with others. The church is the training ground for peace with others. And let me tell you something. I felt pieces of that shalom, of things being as they should be here. A community filled with mercy, with kindness, with gentleness, with humility, with patience and forgiveness. Because I've been touched by the encouraging words of people like Brian Warner and Carl Gobby and Dick Hart. I've seen the humility of leaders like Pastor Lenny and Pastor Chris. I've felt the kindness of peanut butter fudge from Faith (laughs) Freiman. I've felt the mercy of those of you who I've scheduled appointments with and then I didn't show up. Or because of my own miscommunication, you've ended up doing work that was worthless. I felt the calm and comforting countenance of people like Brian Maddox and Carolyn Lewis. We have wonderful people here. Wonderful people here. And some of you don't know this, but I didn't want to stay at Lakeview. When the option came up to stay here in my master's study, I was like, Lord, I want to spread my wings. I want to fly like an eagle. Let me go far away. Please. But I felt a strong impression from the Holy Spirit that I was supposed to stay. I was like, what? But I followed the Lord's judgment. And God's plans are always better than our plans. And I've been blessed by this community. I've known what it's like for a community to have tastes of what our relationships are supposed to be like. Community enriches our lives. You are only who you are today because of the people that you have been surrounded with, the communities that you have found yourself a part of, your church, your club, your city, your state, your country, your family. Without those people, you wouldn't be who you are today. You like to think that you're a self-made person, but you only are who you are because of the community that surrounds you. And that's because God made us. For community. When God made Adam, he eventually said, It isn't good for man to be alone, which is weird because you're like, God, you're there with him. He's not alone, dummy. But that's not the case. God's all knowing and God doesn't lie. So, what are we supposed to catch here? Adam doesn't have anyone else like him, he doesn't have another human. To be with, that's because within Adam, God created a need for community. We're made for community, so God makes Eve, and the problem is solved. So community can enrich our lives, but I want to tell you how community is like a knife. Maybe some of you saw me bring this up here. He's like, hope he's not going to throw it. I'm not. I promise but community is like a knife. Knives are useful. You can open stuff with them. You can slice up a tomato for a good old mater and mayo sandwich. I'm missing my homegrown tomatoes right now. I hate winter. Um, You can open boxes with them. You can slice up um, vegetables for soup. You can do all sorts of wonderful things with it. I mean, think about why does dad always carry one in his pocket? Why do you always carry one in your pocket? Males in the room? I don't have one. I'm sorry. But... All that being said, you always know the person who has a knife. So you're like, "Hey dad, can I borrow your knife?" Knives are useful, but sometimes you nick yourself. Sometimes you're slicing up the vegetables and you slice your finger or you're opening the box and you poke your hand. Accidents happen. Knives can harm Knives are powerful. And because of that, we even use knives to protect us. Recently, Kayla and I were painting the front and back doors of our house. They're out in the basement drying, or out in the garage, not out in the basement, drying, and they didn't get dry by the end of the day, so we had to sleep with the front and back door off of the house. The storm door was still there, okay, on both ends. But regardless, to make my wife feel safe, we went to bed with a knife and a skillet. Because knives make us feel protected. They can do damage, right? But unfortunately, knives can also be used with cruel intentions. Knives can hurt us. Knives can be used in crimes. Knives can even kill. Community is great. Community is useful. Community is powerful. But it can also harm us. It can also be the end of us. It can impact us positively or impact us negatively. Now, what's intriguing to me about this passage that we're digging into today is that throughout this whole book, up until this point, Paul has been lifting up these people. You're doing great. You're loving other people. But then why? If that's the case, does he begin the passage with words like this? You must clothe yourselves with mercy, with kindness, with gentleness, with patience, with love. You have to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Don't they already know this? Doesn't this kind of feel like Paul giving Michael Jordan advice on how to dunk a basketball? They already know how to do it. But could it be that Paul is essentially saying, Colossians, you're good, but I know you can do better. You're really good at it, but I know you can do better. You're good, but you're not great. Paul says in 128 says that he labors until every person, every Christian is mature in Christ, perfect in their relationship with Christ. Paul isn't going to let up. Now, two weeks ago, again, I talked about how Christ is bringing the pieces of shalom, but he won't bring the fullness of shalom. He won't make everything as it should be until he returns and recreates the heavens and the earth. But until then... We get pieces of it. Pieces of community, pieces of relationships being as they should be. But until then, until the fullness of it comes, we can keep hoping for more of heaven to become to earth. Paul says in 3, 1 through 2, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven not the things of earth. The church is the place where God wants to show us what a group of individuals centered around him and his peace can look like, what wholeness can look like, what a community as it should be, what relationships as they should be can look like. So the Colossians are doing good at loving other people, but Fred still gets mad at Diana because of the way that she speaks to him. He doesn't like her tone. The Colossians are good at being kind, but sometimes Mary avoids Dorcas because she talks too much, and it gives her a headache, and there's no aspirin at this age in history. They're pretty good at being merciful, but Donnie can't seem to let go of how George stained his best robes last year during communion. Not everything is going to be right. Not until Christ returns, but that doesn't mean that it can't be better than it is now. Paul says, Colossians, you're good, but I know you can do better. You're good, Colossians, but I know you can do better. Now, in the midst of all of these different things that have been happening in our staff, in the midst of Pastor Chris graduating and now being a doctor... Receiving his Ph.D. this past weekend and Pastor Christian taking on some new roles at the church, I took the liberty of getting some new staff photos for the website. Um, So just to better reflect how Pastor Chris um, is the world's best boss, I felt like this picture would be appropriate. Um, And then because Pastor Christian has taken on some more maintenance responsibilities around the church, we thought something more contractor-esque would fit him. And because I'm not nearly as skilled as either of them, I thought I'd give something that would give me a little boost. Um, So it's funny when the head doesn't match the body, isn't it? You can take the picture down. It's funny when the head doesn't match the body. And I'm not saying there isn't any truth in the pictures I showed you, except mine, because mine's total hogwash. (laughs) But it's funny when it's unexpected. Did you know that Satan laughs at the same thing? When the head doesn't match the body. Because Satan loves it when the body, the church, looks nothing like the head, Christ. And he loves to trick us into thinking that we look more like Christ than we actually do. We like to think that, oh, well, he just makes a forgery that's as obvious as those I just did. A first grader could do that. No. Satan is really good at Photoshop. Satan's a really great art forger. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And he loves to make you think that you look more like Christ than you actually do. He loves for us to live in complacency and not think that we can't have something better in this life. He loves for us to believe and not have enough faith that Christ wants to do more in us right now than we think he can. He loves when the body doesn't match the head. He's right. We're not going to have the fullness of shalom. We're not going to fully relate to each other as we will in the new heavens and the new earth. But he's wrong on how much it can happen. How much of heaven can come to earth. So the Colossians were better than they were before they came to Christ. But they could still be more Christ-like you're really good at welcoming people. But I feel like I still hear stories of people upset that their seat got taken. You're really good at getting together and making others feel loved, but I still hear stories that someone can't admit that they're wrong. Someone will complain about another person, but never actually go to that person. We'll just talk about them behind their back. Someone will have a grievance against another person because of something they did to them and they can't seek forgiveness together. Someone's upset about the music selection, the mix on the soundboard, so it ruins their whole day. People will post passive-aggressive comments on social media about the church. People will dig their heels in and stand up for issues that aren't really as important as they think they are. Like, you're good, but you can do better. You're good, but I know Christ can make you better. Here's how it's laid out for Paul. What does it look like? Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience are all expressions of love, a loving community, a community of service where people are concerned with the welfare of each other, is a community of peace, is a community as it should be, is a community of shalom. And I want to ask you this question today. Are you seeking your peace or our peace? Are you seeking your peace or our peace? Are you more fixated on what you're ticked off about Or about there being peace between us. About us being reconciled. About us loving one another. Because one says, I want peace. The other says, I want us to have peace, brother, sister. Are you more fixated on your peace or our peace? Are you more concerned with your problem being fixed or our problem being fixed? Because I want to tell you something this morning. Your peace is in our peace. Your peace is in our peace. So often it gets confused that we can just live on in these individualistic lifestyles. Well, I'm not affected by the people around me. But tell me this isn't it easier to follow Christ when your spouse is too? Isn't it easier to follow deeper after Jesus when you're surrounded by people who are hungry too? Isn't it easier for your life to be enjoyable when your family life at home is pleasant? Isn't it easier when the people around you are on the same page? You are affected by the community that you're in. Because your peace is in our peace. When we have greater shalom, you have greater shalom. There's this forest in Utah called the Pando Forest. Now, if you were to go there, uh, you'd be looking for a 13 million pound organism. And so no, it's not a giant Sasquatch. No, it's not a giant bear. No, it's not me after the holiday season. <laughs> but you would see an aspen tree after an aspen tree after an aspen tree after an aspen tree on and on and on and on and on and on on. And looking at the surface, you would just see tree, 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 tree. Where is this thing at? But if you were to dig down below, you'd discover that all of the root systems of these trees are connected. And it's technically one living organism. You can't tell where my roots end and his roots begin. Your peace is in our peace. Your peace is in our peace. And your peace is greater when our peace is greater. And because of that, I would say, our peace is more important than your peace. Our peace is more important than your peace. Paul says that peace must rule in our hearts collectively, not just one person after another. Our hearts together. Peace must rule in our hearts. Shalom must rule in our hearts as the Prince of Peace asks of us. So our peace is more important than your peace, but you affect our peace. You affect our peace Are you standing in the way of it? Are you standing in the way of our peace and thereby your peace? Are you standing in the way? Are you blocking our peace? Because the last time I checked, it's not about you. It's about us. It's not about you. It's about us. Well, what's the litmus test? How do we know if you're blocking peace? Well, let's look at Paul's list. You have to clothe yourself with mercy. Are you a person who's quicker to come down on someone because of a mistake they've made or to give them grace because you understand that we all struggle? Are you compassionate and empathetic? Kindness. Are you a pleasing person to be around? Are people refreshed by your presence or do people avoid you? Humility. Is it hard for you to admit that you're wrong? Do you think that you're better than other people that surround you? Gentleness. Do you have the ability to bring things up to people in a serious but loving manner? Or do you tend to come across as harsh and insensitive? Patience. Are you able to endure when things aren't progressing? When something is irritating you, are you forgiving? Do you hold a grudge? Or do you hold on to it? and talk about people behind their back. When the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, we express love to one another through being pleasant to others. We don't think of ourselves as better and we're able to admit when we're wrong. We're compassionate toward our brothers and sisters. We aren't cruel in how we approach problems. We approach them in a gentle but serious manner. We aren't quick to anger. We forgive people even for the most horrible things. When the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, we're concerned with possessing an attitude that creates peace. We're concerned with making things as they should be, not blocking our peace. We're concerned with making our peace because your peace is in our peace. I love this quote from John Wesley about peace between one another. It says, happy is he that attains the character of a peacemaker in the church of God. Why should not you labor after this? Be not content not to stir up strife, but do all that in you lies to prevent or quench the very first spark of it. Indeed, it is far easier to prevent the flame from breaking out than to quench it afterwards. Are you a peacemaker or a peace blocker? Are you more concerned with our peace or your peace? Because when you can't go to someone that's wronged you and forgive them, let me tell you, you're blocking our peace and your peace. When you can't get over yourself and find yourself looking down or scoffing at other people, you're blocking our peace and your peace. When you can't sell someone to their face in a gentle way what the issue is that you have with them, you're blocking our peace and your peace. When you're not being loving, when you're not seeking our peace, You're blocking your own peace. And for the person that says, I don't block any peace, I'm not, I don't have issues with anybody. Well, are you making peace? Are you making things as they should be? I'm not asking if there's no conflict. I'm asking you if you have the fullness of a relationship that's available with this other person. Are you making peace? When was the last time you intentionally tried to be kind? You intentionally were loving towards someone so that your relationship could grow. So it could be more like it should be. So more of heaven could come to earth. So the ruler of shalom could bring more shalom here and now. Make peace. Don't wait for it. You got to make peace. You don't wait for it. Don't wait for it to come to you. Make peace things as they should be. But it's hard, isn't it? Because I just can't deal with that person. Them? It's hard. But how did the Colossians get there in the first place? How did they ever get good? We're forgetting about the fact that they were good because we were so focused on the fact that they should be better. But how did they ever get good? Paul says that Epaphras told him that the Holy Spirit gave them the power to love others. The only reason they ever became loving was because the grace that the ruler of Shalom poured out on their lives. The very spirit of Christ, the Prince of Peace himself, had transformed them into loving People, Lakeview, the only reason you ever have become so loving, so welcoming, the things that you have done well has been by the grace of the Holy Spirit transforming you. You've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's at stake if we don't seek after this? If we don't seek to become a community that is more full of peace, more as it should be than we could ever imagine. Well, then I fear that God wouldn't want to bring anyone else into the community. Because why would God want to send these people that he's drawing to himself to a community that doesn't want more of heaven to come to earth? Doesn't want the relationships to be as they should. B, those are some pretty high stakes, if you ask me. A lack of peace between people and the body of Christ is a pretty disgusting mess, and you're going to need a rag, R-A-G, to clean it up. Okay, I know, it's painful. That's the only acronym I could think of, all right? R, you got to recognize your issue. Let me tell you something. The Lord is really faithful at telling you what's wrong with you. And if you talk to the Lord and he doesn't poke on the uncomfortable parts, I'm not sure you're talking to the Lord. He does it out of love, but he'll poke you because he knows things about you nobody else knows. Do you have a lack of compassion for people who are less fortunate? Do you tend to get bitter at people or leadership specifically and never go and talk to them about it? Do you think you're better than other people? Are you unwilling to admit that you're wrong? Is there someone in the congregation you aren't willing to forgive? Are you prideful? Are you unkind? Are you impatient? Are you harsh? What is it? What is standing in the way of us experiencing a greater peace? Are you more concerned with your peace or our peace? First, you've got to recognize the issue. That's our. A, you've got to ask God's help. It was the obvious answer, right? Because we said by the power of the Holy Spirit we got there. It's only going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit that we get to the next level. Ask the Lord for his help. Ask the ruler of Shalom, the prince of peace, to enable you in your relationships to be as you should be. For it, them to be as they should be. So our your issue, A. Ask for God's help. And finally, G, go and make peace. RNA, you can just do in some time of prayer. You, I don't care if you pray for three hours a day about it. If you recognize your issue and then you ask God to help, but you never take a step of faith and actually do an action in that relationship to fix it or make it better, then you haven't fixed the issue. Peace is in the context of relationships you are going to have to do something to fix that relationship. One of you is going to have to. You have to go and make peace. You have to go and talk to the person that you have an issue with. You have to go and forgive that person even if it hurts. You have to go and try to build a better relationship with the person that irritates you, even if their voice is really annoying. Because our peace is greater than your peace. And your peace is increased when our peace is increased. So that's the question I have for you today. What is God poking at you about right now? Who is it that you have an issue with? Who is it that your relationship isn't as great as it should be? What act of faith do you need to ask the Lord to help you with and then take a step So that the relationship can be as it was meant to be. It can be better than you think. I promise. God can work miracles. Lakeview, you're good. But I know you can be better. God wants you to be better. The ruler of Shalom is holding out his hand. Offering us greater peace. And thereby you greater peace. The question is. Will you take this step today? Recognize your issue, ask for God's help, and then go and make peace. Let's pray. Lord, (laughs) you are the ruler of peace, and you, more than anyone else, know the issues that we have for other people And nonetheless, you made us for community. We are in need of community. We can't go on without it. The most fulfilling life that you have created is only lived in the context of community. So we ask, Holy Spirit, for the work that only you can do. We praise you for the transformation that has happened in this room. The love that you have enabled us to have for one another. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to get over ourselves. So that love could increase, that you would soften our hearts toward the people that we have hated, that have irritated us. Enable us to forgive, enable us to be kind, enable us to be loving, so that the peace of Christ might rule in our hearts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.